most of the time, you know, having that confidence in your own skill set really pays off. Instead, I say, who do you want to be, you know, for this night? What will make you feel like this character? I think that it's so amazing because as a person that's interested in this stuff, I want to hear what they have to say. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking to Megan Mason about the world of wigs and makeup. Megan Mason started out in the entertainment industry as a performer. She earned a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Houston. She also attended the Westmore Academy of Cosmetic Arts in Los Angeles and earned a Master of Arts in the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Besides working for several years for Cirque du Soleil's car, she has a career covering film, theatre, ballet, opera, special events, workshops and more. She is the founder and director of Academy of Makeup and Wig Design in Texas. Hello, Megan. Thank you and welcome to the show. Hi. It sounds so fancy when you all read it out like that. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a fantastic uh, bio. So tell us a little bit more about why you went from performance and then into, into make, wigs and makeup. Well, the transition was a little bit uh, melded together, if you will. When I was in undergrad in college, in makeup class, you know, everybody has to take stage makeup as a performer. And my teacher, who became my mentor later, she came in one day and said, the Tuts, which is Theater Under the Stars here, uh, they need a wig person to run wig crew. And I said, well, how much does it pay? Because this is like 1999. And she told me it was like $12 an hour, which sounded amazing at the time. So I was like, yeah, show me what to do. That's awesome. So I already was really interested in makeup, just my whole life. And then I got on really well with the wig uh, master there at Tuts and she kept hiring me and bringing me back. And so I just kind of did that throughout college as a side gig and learning as I went. And when I went out to LA, (laughs) I went to makeup school because my mom is a realist. And I said, I'm going to go to LA, I'm going to perform. And she's like, Oh, Lord, like, I think that's amazing. But there's like, the percentages, you know, she she works in corporate America. <laughs> I said, well, what if I go out there and go to, to school? And she was like, you know, her and my dad talked about it. And they said, well, what kind of school? And I said, there's a makeup school. And my friend is at this other makeup school called Mud. And we can be roommates together. And I got it all figured out. So they said, okay. And I went out there. And when I started working, I did get my SAG card and everything. Like I was, I was doing extra work and taking classes. But the makeup uh, really picked up for me. Those gigs were more steady and they paid, you know, pretty decently. And so I wound up just doing more and more of that and then doing wigs on the side when I wound up coming back to Houston. And so it all kind of was mixed together. And because I was already interested in both of those categories uh, on my own merits, it was an easy transition. I still miss performing though. I mean, I wouldn't mind doing it again, maybe when my son's grown and I can, uh, you know, have the older lady parts or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
the side gig. It will become your side gig. Yeah, it'll be my side gig. I'll just add it to like the 14 side projects I have going on at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so who is a makeup artist and what's the difference between working with her and Weeks, a hair artist and now a wig artist? Well, I think the biggest difference overall is dealing with people, right? Like the human head. Also, a lot of wig artisans, including myself, I didn't go to cosmetology school and gain a license to do people's hair. I don't cut and color the hair that is on your head that I'm looking at right now. There's a differentiation with that, with the unions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can do wigs in the union, like in LA, but not do, do wigs, but not do hair. So Uh, that's one of the biggest differences. And then the styling, like I can, when I style the wigs with the rollers, I can put giant two and three inch pins, just stick it right into the head to hold it and then stick it in a wig dryer and it's gone. And that's pretty frowned upon, you know, in a salon setting. (laughs) 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 I think you get in some trouble. (laughs) Wait, what? It hurts. It can be dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I stab myself when doing the roller sets and oh god you don't do it twice in a row I'll tell you that much but that's probably the biggest difference and I talk a lot about this with future students that they want to get into wigs and they may have their cosmetology license but the wig world it has so many different factors that go into it, right? There's a lot of period styling um, that you don't necessarily learn in cosmetology school. You kind of have to take that roller set knowledge and then learn it on your own. And the period styling, the different pieces, some people might just need extensions or hair pieces or, uh, you know, top pieces, toupees or, but we also make eyebrows and we make facial hair. And so there's a, an added element to hairstyling Uh, That's just inherently different. You have to be very knowledgeable in all different kinds of hair, whether it's synthetic hair, human hair, what kind of human hair, what kind of synthetic hair. There's all these subcategories within each of those. Do people have allergies to certain things? Then they can't wear, you know, yak hair or, or things like that if they have an animal allergy. So you have to be able to incorporate all of that. And then also, know how, not everybody has to know this, but know how to tie the hair and create the wig and repair the wigs, especially on shows, you know, they're so rough on them. And most of them are going to be in need of maintenance on a regular basis. So you have to know how to, to maintain those. And what climate are we in? Like if I'm in Vegas taking care of a show, it is very different taking care of wigs in Houston with like 90% humidity as opposed to 6% humidity. (laughs) That's fascinating. And with your sort of trajectory, given that there wasn't a really one-stop shop to learn all of that, was it on the job discovery? Is that, is that how you developed your techniques? You know, when I was younger, I didn't even know you could go to university for wigs. Uh, there, you know, there was two schools, one's in Ohio and one was, uh, you know, North Carolina School of the Arts. I didn't even know they existed. Like, I think that my trajectory would have been maybe very different had I known that, but I don't regret anything. My life has really been so wonderful and fortuitous in in the way that it went. But because I didn't know those things existed, (laughs) uh, I had to learn from other people. So when I got hired at Tut's, 
uh, Catherine, the wig master, she would be like, okay, well today I need help with roller set. Let me show you how to do it and then how to steam it and how to do all of these steps. So it looks like ABCD. So I just kind of learned on the go and then she would correct you as you went, which for me is the best way that I learned. And then later I was like, well, I need to learn how to tie hair and ventilate. So I took a class in that. And so you learn another little piece or element. And I was working at the Shakespeare Festival in Houston. I remember this so distinctly. I probably shouldn't admit this, but they said, you know, we're doing Romeo and Juliet and it's the 1920s and we want finger waves. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't done a finger wave in like at least 10 years. Like I couldn't even tell you. So I was like, oh, absolutely. No problem. Totally got it. And because I had done it before, I knew I could fib a little bit. Like it was in there in the Rolodex somewhere. And so I was just locked myself away for like two days, just practicing finger waves on synthetic hair and just figuring out how to make it work. And I feel like that still happens. Like there's still jobs that we'll get hired for. Kelsey, my best friend and uh, co-founder of the school, we'll still get hired for things. And we're like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> you know? And so you just pull from like all of this really random separate knowledge that you've gained over the years and events and experiences and sandwich them together and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually it works out really well. There's a couple of times where you go, we're going to have to redo that. But most of the time, you know, having that confidence in your own skill set really pays off. And then you also do special effects? I do. I do not do crazy special effects. So when Kelsey and I started the school, we joked, we're like the yin and yang of each other. It's she likes gore and blood and prosthetics and like you cut stuff open and things ooze out. And I think that is so gross. Uh, I respect it so much, but I think it's so gross. I like glitter and editorial and fashion and beauty. So we always joke, you know, that, that we go together so well. And we, if we could have glitter colored blood, that would be like the best thing ever. So I do kind of out of the box effects. I can do bald caps and bruising and cuts and scrapes and stuff, but there's a whole world of special effects that whenever we have those classes come up, I absolutely bring those people in (laughs) to teach those classes because I think knowing what you don't know or understanding what is not your forte, not only does it keep you humble, but it also allows other great artists to share their knowledge. So I will teach like out of the kit effects, but like crazy special effects. I just respect it so much, but It's not something that I ever delved seriously into and because it really grosses me out. I was watching Hannibal today and just, oh, one of the the mannequins, you know, I I need to look up who does their their mannequins, but uh, their silicone bodies. It was so disgusting and amazing. Like you can't look away, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I could work on that. I mean, I would if somebody hired me, but you know what I mean? Like as a choice, I was like, oh, it's so gross and so cool. (laughs) that's amazing when it comes to work for you you know does a period sort of piece excite you or is it like the Cirque du Soleil I've got to do a wig for an acrobat that's flying in the air kind of gig that is fascinating for you or is it all of them it's really all of them I mean I 
I'm a huge history nerd. My master's degree that I got was in costume design and history. And it's one of my favorite pieces to teach when I'm teaching. I teach history of wigs and makeup, no matter what class people are taking, because I think having a perspective on where you are in history relative to what you're trying to work on uh, is absolutely important. And so for me, it's super fun to do historical pieces because I like researching them. I like going back and and seeing, okay, if this person was in the middle class in Philadelphia in 1872, what did they look like as opposed to an aristocrat at that period? And how do we make that the most realistic? And then we can make design choices, obviously, if they want to veer away from that. But to be informed is super fun. But the Cirque stuff, I mean, is so great because the, the freedom that you get, you know, the Cirque du Soleil shows are all pre-designed before we work on them. A Ka was designed by Marie Chantal and the makeup was designed by Natalie Gagné. Uh, so we had to keep all of the performers and ourselves adhered to those designs, uh, which in and itself is a task. Most of the time it was fine, but every once in a while, you know, people don't want to cut their hair or they want to grow their beard or things like that. And you have to keep the design true. Um, but when we got to work on like Circus Couture, Kelsey and I were the directors of hair and makeup. So we got to design those looks and they could be as crazy and outlandish as we wanted or as quiet and simple and understated as we wanted. And so having that freedom is really amazing, although sometimes scary because, you know, there's more choices, right, than, <laughs> than less choices. But I also like the the melding of the two directors, uh, like Baz Luhrmann and, oh, I can't remember who directed Anna Karenina, the latest version. But those were really interesting because he mixes the periods. Right. There's a very firm understanding of the periods, but then they sneak in all of these elements that are uh, twisted in a way. Uh, Julie Taymor does the same thing with her design team. And uh, that I find really fascinating and challenging and would love to to do something like that but I love history I could talk about it all day no it. it's fascinating the, the the depth and the breadth of it just for the listeners can you explain what circus couture is because some of people may not know so circus couture is a show that we put on in Las Vegas uh up until last year we it's been running for I think 11 years and uh, Kelsey and I've been there since the first year and we raise money for cure for the kids, which is a clinic there in Las Vegas. And they treat children that have cancer or other blood diseases, whether they have insurance or not. And they treat children from out of state as well. And uh, Erica Lenz back in 2009, I think she said, what can we do as performers? to help these babies, you know, we don't have medical degrees. We don't have any of that. So what can we do? Everybody said, well, let's do a show. Like we know how to do that. And so that's what we did. And seeing where it is from like year one to year 10 is crazy. Cause essentially we're putting on a Cirque type show in one night with all volunteers. Nobody gets paid. It's like amazing. And it's fashion, it's circus, it's art like one of the most special things you can ever work on or even attend because um, the kids get to attend too. Oh, that's amazing. So you get to meet the the littles mm. that you're helping save their life. And it's also a very transparent organization where you see exactly where the money is going. I think one year we got enough money for a salary for 
an RN to come in. She was some specialized nurse that came in uh, for the year to, to help the kids and stuff. And we've raised over a million dollars and we'll be back up next, next fall. COVID obviously threw a wrench in things, especially because they're so immunocompromised. So hopefully we'll be back up next year and can raise some money and they have other events throughout the year, but that's what Circus Couture is. So check it out, circuscouture.com and Cure for the Kids. It's awesome. Amazing. So what is the difference when you work on makeup and wigs and hairstyle for a performer compared to, you know, if I show up and say, hey, can you do my makeup? I'm going to a party tonight. I think the, really the only difference is the amount of, you know, what I mean? Like, because you're going to be up close and personal with people as opposed to, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet back or, or even closer if you're in like a black box or zoomanity or something. But outside of that, I treat it much the same. I ask, what are you wearing? Maybe I don't ask for like your whole background story. If you're just going to a party, like, where's this person from? Where, you know, <laughs> what is their plight in life? I can, I can just see you and ask you. <laughs> Instead, I say, who do you want to be, you know, for this night? What will make you feel like this character? What are some color choices that we want? So, but essentially it's just going to be the amount of makeup uh, and lace that's showing on your wig. And when I say that for people listening in theater, we leave um, about an inch of lace half inch to an inch of lace on the forehead uh, for tension. But in real life, uh, a lot of women and men, they cut the lace right below the hair. Uh, so you can't see it as readily uh, for film and television and in person. So that would be the biggest difference. Who do you, you want to be? <laughs> does that, does that mean that it's harder to stay on when you cut that, that off of the It can be. We definitely have to attach it a little bit uh, more securely. And why do you leave it on in, in theatrical performances or the, in the instances where you do? Uh, it creates a tension on the forehead. So it keeps it more secure. It fits better. And then we, you know, there's a lot going on, especially in custom made wigs. And so they're made for the performer's head. Some of them have mic packs. So you kind of need all the help you can get uh, in a performance. They're probably dancing in Cirque. They're flipping upside down uh, for restyling. You know, you, you block it with bias tape. And, and this is for lace front wigs. For hard front wigs, it's, it's a little bit different. But it just, it helps in every single way. It helps it stay on. It helps it fit better. It helps it for restyling. And in real life, you know, unless you're going to a party and you're going to be headbanging, it doesn't need to be as secure as it would in, in a Cirque show. That's yeah. for sure. And the one that I worked on, they had uh, they had the chin straps because they had to dive in the water with the wigs. So there's no way pins were going to hold that on. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple with chin straps uh, and caught the names of things are French. We called it Frenchified. <laughs> so the skull cap, they called it cagoule. And I never heard this word until I started working there. There was a bunch of words like that. Uh, and essentially, it's a skull cap and we had Velcro on it. And then we would put Velcro inside the wig. So we'd have to add that layer and then attach it. So it was all attached to their head because they go upside down. But there was only a handful that had that. The other ones were just pinned within an inch of their life. Wow. <laughs> so now that everything's been broadcasted, how do you stay true to the theatrical part of it, but also consider it as a more film or broadcast? Well, in general, in theatrical performances, because now you have this duality that you were talking about, that you're at 
the same time going to be far away, but close. So the camera is really close, but technically your audience, if you have one, it's still far away. Well, most of the time, if you're watching like filming of live performances, they will just have on their their normal wigs that they wear on stage, like watching Hamilton or a Broadway show. Uh, they might go in and trim the lace back a little bit just so people it, you shouldn't see it because it should be the color uh, color match to the performer. So if you're seeing it for real, real, like I will see it. But, you know, like if you can see it, that's probably not a good thing. But most of the time, if they're filming a live performance that's on stage, the lace will be there and it's fine because most people don't even know what they're looking at. But if it's for film, we definitely had PR wigs and stuff like that. And there's other shows that I know they'll have a separate set of wigs that are particularly going to be filmed they'll be made up a little bit differently. They'll be, the lace is cut back. And then if it's for a poster and stuff, they'll just go in and post. Do people still say that? <laughs> they go in and post and uh, get rid of the lace. You know, all of the Cirque posters are like that. They'll go in and just get rid of the lace with the computer because we had to keep the lace on there. <laughs> yeah. Photoshop for the win. <laughs> Photoshop, yeah. We'll just fix it in post. It's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell us about the Academy of Makeup and Wig Design and why did you start that? You started that in Vegas, I, I believe, right? And and what was the motivation to, to kick into that as well as work for Surface Light? So Kelsey Contois-Hush, my co-makeup artist and wiggy at Ka slash best friend, uh, we were working a lot on these side projects. So our normal schedule was four to midnight. Uh, four o'clock in the afternoon to midnight. And that left the whole morning and day to do things. So we would, I'm a workaholic a little bit by nature. So we would freelance. We designed a separate show. We did circus couture. We did weddings, like all kinds of stuff. Uh, In particular, circus couture, it had grown so much that I needed to have, we needed to have people on our crew that did wigs and makeup. We had all of these people that did hair and makeup, but we needed people that knew how to put wigs on, how to pin them, how to help style them if we needed, you know, that, that knew how to deal with synthetic hair and we weren't finding it. So at some point we were like, you know what, we should just have classes and teach people how to do this so we can hire them. And that was kind of the beginning, uh, back in like 2014, uh, we started doing workshops. They have a residential training office there. And so we had a contract with them, uh, separate. We had a business license and we started doing classes and just hauling everything back and forth from storage, you know, to there. And that got old real quick. So then we got a studio and it just kind of slowly grew because what we found out and even more so now is that outside of those two university settings, uh, here in the States, there's not really a place for you to go to learn how to do wigs, how to style them, the history of them, how to make them. There's a ton of classes and especially now online. And some of my friends and colleagues are amazing uh, wig makers. And so they're teaching classes online as well. So it just kind of evolved into this thing. And we started it, yeah, in 2014. And Kelsey stayed in, in it as an active partner for a long time. And then now she's a creative consultant with the company. She's still in Vegas and I'm in Houston. Uh, 
and classes are still going. But that was the main reason we needed people, more people to know how to do this art so we could then hire them for these crazy events. <laughs> yeah. So you have now the school is in Texas, but you still have an office in Vegas. Yeah, I have a studio uh, near Bush Intercontinental Airport because a lot of my students come from out of state. And that was the case in Las Vegas as well. Why? I'm not really sure. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but I was like, I just need to be near an airport. And we have two international ones here in Houston. And one of them is closer to my house than the other one. So I found this little building on a historical Main Street, which, of course, the history nerd in me loves because it looks like, you know, Americana. You walk outside and it's like this little tiny, you know, it's like five or six blocks long old movie theater and I have a building that was built in 1930 it's uh like a thousand square feet and it's just the cutest thing so I moved in there and I've been there a year now uh we opened a week before COVID hit <laughs> that's a shame so most of the classes I guess have been zoom and and, and rather than in person this year it's been a mix I I've had several online classes because we weren't even allowed to reopen until I think August, you know? And so the first in-person class I had, uh, I had a student from California and thank God she was a germaphobe just like I am. So she like came and stayed at the hotel and I have deals with the local hotels for the students just because it all gets very expensive very quickly. So now I do like one, maybe two people classes uh, for the foreseeable future, which works out really great for them, right? It's like a ton of one-on-one attention for this very teeny tiny uh, wig making work. And then I have a makeup class coming up in um, January that will just be like a one-on-one and then I'll have, you know, vetted models (laughs) come in. So we have to, it's going to be interesting to figure that out, but we're going to try and make it work. And not to rest on your laurels, you now started Behind the Biz. So tell us about Behind the Biz. <laughs> so, be, I know. so remember all those 14 <laughs> side projects I was talking about? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's just one of them. It's just a little just one. one of, so I'm always, when I'm watching stuff, I'm like, oh, I know who that person is. Oh, I wonder who did that production design. Oh, I love that music. Oh, look at that wig. And like, I'll freak out about like all of these different pieces of artistry, essentially, uh, and mainly on television and film, because that's what we're watching a lot. And I love movies, like love them. I haven't seen live theater in a, in a minute because of this year, but uh, you know, it's the same thing. Like that set is great in the lighting design. So anyway, I was like, wouldn't it be really great to chat with those people who do all of the super cool stuff? Because we're always talking with the movie stars and the directors. Nobody talks to the producer. Nobody talks to the AD. We do. You do, you do. Theater art life does. It is absolutely true. And I think that it's so amazing because as a person that's interested in this stuff, I want to hear what they have to say. What does production look like that day? You know, what does that 18 hour day look like for you guys? Again, I go back to Hannibal. You know, I, I want to get Matthew Davies because I'm obsessed with the production design of this show. And I want to ask questions to these people like, can we talk about the symmetry in this production design? Like, is that a choice? What can we talk about the antlers in the background? Like all of these kind of things, but also like, what did you do as a kid? Who was that person as a 12 year old? Mm. You know, what's your favorite ice cream? 
I'm going to judge you on your favorite ice cream, you know? (laughs) So I realized that I had this amazing circle of colleagues already that I could kind of tap into and and get to know more about them uh, as well as shine a light on them a little bit. And it's going great. I have uh, people are now like kind of sending in suggestions and like, oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to this person. So that's kind of interesting and new to reach out to people I don't know. So far, it's been positive. uh, And they're saying yes, which is (laughs) encouraging. But yeah, it really comes from a, a true place of love and passion of something I just find really interesting. And I thought maybe other people like me or you know, baby artists would listen in and feel inspired or not so alone in the world. I feel like our industry's a little under the weather this year uh, is an understatement. So maybe this would be a positive, a positive beacon of light for them to still stay inspired and motivated to, to make art and be creative. I think we're both in alignment with that. And I, I think the more that we start to highlight the people behind the biz, uh, and and the the craft of what we do and what you do, which is amazing. All of you know, when you think about wigs and makeup, you don't actually necessarily understand the depth and the breadth of the skills that are required to be effective in that role. So, opening that up and letting people understand that there's these all these lists of careers that exist in the world that aren't necessarily in the spotlight, but are also amazing, creative, wonderful careers that can that people can do. But I have a challenge for you. Mm. <laughs> have you seen the queen's gambit the netflix show so no it's on my list okay you... the, the, the two-year-old everything is relegated to like hour blocks after he goes to bed <laughs> i want you to find the person that does the costume design and the styling on that show because it Ooh. is beautiful and you Absolutely. will notice that uh, a lot of the uh, clothing that she wears is based on chess inspired pieces yes. and it's and, and it's very subtle but it's very clever and it's um even right down to her final costume which is I won't spoil it it's just there's a whole narrative for me that I watched throughout that um tv series that I was totally spellbound by and I and I want you to find out who did that okay. because I would love to hear it behind the biz on uh, whoever did the costuming for that. It's a really brilliant. Oh, I will find out because I, I already am supposed to watch and look at the wigs. Yeah. You just made me think I felt the exact same way when I watched, and this was a long time ago, but La La Land and how oh. the color progression goes on it. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Right. It's so wonderful. And I feel like, like we're a special breed, right? Like we kind of know what we're looking at, but I feel like, you know, the general public, if, if all of our jobs are done correctly, they don't even know that those feelings and that those emotions are being uh, provocated. You know, they're, they're, they don't even know that that's happening because of the color story or in, even in, um, what was it? The greatest showman, you know, she's always in blue. Michelle Williams, she's always in this like robin egg blue, like throughout the whole thing. And it's gorgeous and flowy. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing that they do their job so well. And I freak out about it, right? I mean, it's just, oh, you just want to hug them and be like, you're so good. (laughs) You're so smart. I want to be like you. (laughs) Right. What does your design notebooks look like? Just like rifle through them and 
yeah, I get very excited about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing quite like looking at like original sketches of costumes and <gasps> designs. I mean, even not as a person that lives in your world, there's something in the art lover of me that just loves to see all of that, you know, creativity on a page. And then not only that, but the manifestation of that original idea to its reality and the not being part of a production process, you understand the work that's required to actually get to that point, um, which people do not understand or, uh, you know, or tend to underestimate because they don't, they're not part of that world, right? Yeah. I mean, I think my degree is actually a very good example of somebody that um, has a degree in costume design and I do not sew. My reasoning for getting that was A, I love history, but B, I wanted and needed to understand in order to be a better designer overall, I needed to understand how things are made, how does that design work with the script, whether it's film, TV, uh, theater, special event? How are those choices made? How does that play in with the lighting director? You know, what, what are the filters that are going to be on it? If this character, if I want them to have a certain weight or airiness about them, what fabrics do I need to choose? And then I need to be able to be clear because I don't really sew. I don't find that uh, calming at all. <laughs> it's the I like complete you, opposite. I like that you term it calming. It's not calming. <laughs> it's not calming to me. It's, it's not, that's not fun for me. But I need to be able to have clear and concise conversations with the pattern maker, with the stitchers, with, you know, there's this whole line of production, like you said, that they're creating those garments and if I don't know how to communicate with them effectively, who knows what's going to happen? They're going to probably create something fabulous, but it might not be what I intended for it to be. So those costume designers that we're talking about and makeup designers, they have to be able to choose an amazing crew to carry out what they want. You know, so there's this whole leadership part of of being a designer as well and understanding what you need from people and how to to get that out effectively diplomatically and at the end beautifully even if it's ugly you know to be like wow that is they distressed that so well <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah I don't sew so I need to understand design as a concept and then how to translate it <laughs> I did so. I want to be clear. I did so. I made a corset. I made all of the things <laughs> I needed to make, and I hated it. <laughs> so respect, man. It's fine. I, you're Mad respect for all of them. You've you've you've, uh, you've made a career without it. So keep going. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hats off to all my my stitchers and pattern maker friends because what they do is awesome. When I was an undergrad, I had the custom design class and I hated yeah. it and it was hard. And I had it's hard. It is really hard. I was like, not for me. Lovely. You do a great job. I like to see what you do. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> that's how I feel about stagecraft. Yeah. I, I, that's more my, <laughs> my realm of things. I feel more at home. Oh, the nail gun. Get out of here. No way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is it that you like from your job? If you could summarize all your different jobs and tasks. I think that the one kind of common thread 
in all of the different avenues that I work in is that they create something new and wonderful and beautiful. Even working on Cirque, you know, for almost 12 years, every night was a different show. It was a different cast. The lighting was different, you know, depending on the lift might not work. And so all of these things come together and they create something new and wonderful and they tell a story and people get to escape for a minute, which I think is really important right now. But whether I'm working at, you know, the ballet, the ballet is a whole different thing, right? Like I love seeing it all come to life and then them dance. Cause I absolutely do not have that skill. And so seeing them just float across the stage in some chiffon skirt with this amazing lighting and like snow falling, like what? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's too much. And so it's so moving, you know? And I, I think that that's the main thing I love about working in entertainment and any facet is just, it always moves me, you know? And I think that that, as long as that continues to keep happening, I'll continue to keep working. It generally is such a motivation, isn't it? Uh, to work in our industry, to be inspired by those people around us uh, who do so much creative work. And when it all comes together, even if it is only fleeting, right? Because it's a one, like you said, 12 years of Cirque, but yet every night was one moment where that all comes together in a very different form each and every day. Having said that, if there's something that you would change in your job or the industry as, you know, or we always look for improvement, is there something that you, you would like to see happen in the next few years in weeks, makeup? Hmm, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think that there should, you know, the one thing that comes up all of the time that really irks me is in the Oscars. I'm a huge Oscars fanatic and I don't, like that they have hair and makeup in the same category because those they're two different things and especially in film like it's you're definitely almost definitely not gonna have the wig people doing the makeup and the makeup people doing the wigs so that bothers me I feel like those people don't get the recognition on a broader scale that they should they have their own separate awards but people don't see those. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, so we're going to, we're going to strive for that. Right. To get, to get that. I'll write a letter. <laughs> I don't know to who. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think just having overall more education for people that want to be in hair and wigs and makeup for them to take hold of their career and really have people in place that have put some thought and effort into what they want to do because we have such a world of social media and those kind of platforms. A lot of people think that they're professionals when they're amazingly talented people, but when they get on set or on a, in a production, they have no idea what's happening. And so I think, and going forward in the future, I would like for people to follow through with that a little bit more and prepare themselves to work in beauty, in fashion, understanding how the hierarchy still exists, you know, to 
put your work in and apprentice and really learn the ropes and learn how things are done. And then not saying you can't change them eventually, but that you can really get in there and understand it because otherwise people won't pay them any mind. And I don't think that's a necessarily good thing either. There's some really talented artists that if they just will educate themselves, then they'll be taken a bit more seriously and we can all be progressive and more forward in our thinking. Really interesting answer. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Can you share with us your personal website, the school website? Uh, You also have articles on the Theater Art Life website that you've written. Yeah, in the very beginning of Theater Art Life, uh, I had contributed, I think, two articles. I have a couple of drafts, actually. I need to finish them up and resubmit them to you guys. But um, yeah, I have a couple on there. And then my personal website is MeganMason.com. If people are like not interested in the school and they want to see like, well, what has this lady done? You know, (laughs) going to teach me how to do stuff. What does her stuff look like? They can go to MeganMason.com and I have a sampling of work and videos and things like that. And then the school is uh, Academy of Makeup and Wig Design, but that's very long for a website. So we made it academymwd.com. And on there is a behind the biz page. And then on Instagram, uh, it's at behind underscore the underscore biz. And that's where I kind of keep it up to date of what the interviews that are coming up and just little different inspirational quotes and things like that to keep people motivated. But I'm just trying to build all of that up. I mean, the behind the biz stuff, I was telling Anna, um, as a, a 40 year old recently, I feel like this technological learning curve is crazy. And just trying to figure out, it's just me here at the house. So I, I don't have like an audio guy and any of that stuff. I'm definitely calling them. I'm like, how do I do this? <laughs> the benefits of knowing these people. <laughs> we, we spoke to a voiceover artist the other day and he was telling about how he had to set up, he has a home studio kit. And and I was learning so much from that. And, and I think this is the year that we've got to dive into this virtual realm, you know, and um, and get skills, upskill ourselves and uh, who knows where it'll go next. I think it's really interesting too. So kudos to you doing it as well. It's right? It's been a curve. <laughs> like did you even know outro was a word that's a made-up word somebody <laughs> made that up but I had to learn how to do it yesterday <laughs> I got like four more gray hairs figuring out how to make an outro <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> like it needs to be scored and the music can't be too crazy it has to be somewhat serious and elegant like it's just you know 11 o'clock at night and you're like these are the choices I'm making yeah. today. What music choice am I going to do? You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's where you know, like you said, you can draw on your industry pros to help you. I for our jingle for our podcast, so I caught up a, a friend of mine, and uh, he 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 wrote the jingle for us. I was like, okay, good, done. Next, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I have a couple of phone calls to make this week because there's some things that I'm just staring at the computer, like, what am I doing with my life? I don't <laughs> understand how to do this. <laughs> Oh, it's a lot. Uh, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us an insight into your life, Megan. It's so good to see you again. And um, all the best with Behind the Biz, your academy, your work, your son, all of the things <laughs> that you are juggling over there in uh, Texas. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you over those articles. <laughs> 
Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theaterartlive.com. And you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Scherata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world.